So hey guys, it's Wade Conway, Never Settle for Par, doing a little bit something different today. Going to have a little conversation with the CEO of Groella, Dan Green. He is in Cincinnati with uh, wife Joni and three kids. Is that right? Oh, we're leading off with my family. Yeah, well, let's not leave out. There's two dogs. We two got dogs. A, uh, we got a <laughs> guinea pig. That's important. Can't leave a that guinea out. Pig? <laughs> Do they, the dogs and the guinea pig, like, they coexist well? Um, they, at times, uh, we try to keep... Uh, not too much playtime there, if you know what I mean. Dogs get hungry. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I know the dog story. There's a big backstory that we could spend a whole call talking on And if, I, if you were interviewing me because our dogs kind of led to our kids, oddly enough. So we ended up adopting the kids. Uh, we've had my little girl five years ago in May. She just had her sixth birthday on Monday. Oh, my gosh. That's great. It is. It is, man. What, and are you young ones or you got – teens or they're, yeah they're they're just getting into their teens and uh people always said to me they're like uh you know the the days go slowly the years go quickly uh that i think that's where we're at <laughs> that's exactly what it seems like to me so we may have to do another call where i get some parenting advice because i tell you what starting it late in my life and a father 44 uh it seems like i make a lot more mistakes than i do <laughs> doing the right thing so I, I don't think any of us have figured this out yet there's uh there's <laughs> <laughs> Parenting is hard. I got an icebreaker for you. Oh yeah. So, what mustaches do you have in your pocket today? Ah, I, you know, I came without cut. You know, this is uh, this is audio, so I can tell you have all sorts of things, and it doesn't matter. But I do. I do carry costumes around. That's that's funny. Yeah. So uh, there's, you know, to, for everybody else, I I, uh, I keep a bag with me just because there's kids and you never know when you need to entertain people. And I have, uh, you know, gag glasses with the giant eyeballs and I have the, you know, the Groucho glasses I keep with me. I have, uh, I keep a stash of emergency mustaches and so, uh, at, at times when my kids are exceedingly bored. It was, it was, they probably thought it was funnier when they're younger. Now they're just humoring me, which is important, but I'll just... Uh, I'd be like, what'd you say? And I'll turn around and, and I'll have on a, you know, an old timey curly Q mustache or something. Oh, dad. If you can't have some fun while you're, you, you know, living your life or doing your job, <laughs> you need to find something else to do. So it, it used to be, uh, yeah, I was indulging them. I think now they indulge me just by giggling. And it's part of, that's part of parenthood. Exactly. <laughs> All your jokes get old eventually, just like you. <laughs> So for you guys, and you know, I know I've got a, a coaching background and, and my little niche is coaching loan officers out there and kind of a segue into how I, I uh, reached out to Dan a while back. Um, he is, has founded and grown um, three different web publishing businesses and uh, it's how he came about that. I'm going to let him fill you in a little bit more, but I guess he ended up in the mortgage industry like a lot of us maybe wasn't necessarily planned. They started out in a different route. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, your unique story and background and how you ended up in the mortgage space and how you've come to where you are today? Tell me a little more about that. Yeah, sure. Happy to. I, w I was actually a software developer uh, when I came out of school and uh, came up through .com and it was a really exciting time. Um, if, you know, if, for listeners who are part of that, you remember it's just so much possibility, right? So much opportunity. And then there wasn't. And so um, I'd been, my wife and I were recently married and you know, I'd moved around to a bunch of different jobs and I decided the best thing to do would be to take a job somewhere that was stable. So I went to go work and do software for um, one of the largest banks in the country. And I was there for, um, for some period of time. And uh, <laughs> one day 
uh, in my very safe and stable job, they summarily uh, got rid of all 150 people in my department. Um, Welcome to the banking industry, right? <laughs> right, and apparently nothing nothing is safe or stable. Um, and uh, rather than take a, a move into another part of that organization, um, I took my software skills and I went to do some freelance work and, and my first project was as a mortgage company and I loved it. Uh, mortgage is great uh, for a lot of reasons and, and mostly because um, I look at it as being a mostly chaotic industry that the top performers are always organized. If you look at the top performers, they, they approach the business differently. Um, but it, there is a systems and organization and pattern. And those are the people who last in this business. Absolutely. And as a software guy, like that's the thing that I feel like I do particularly well. Was, so that particular part of the business made sense to you. Oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, took to it really quickly. I, I remember I, I had all the, I had no problem understanding uh, loan structuring, which I think for a lot of people is a hard place to get started is to understand the right loan for the right customer at the right time. I had a hard time describing it. And so I would drive to appointments everywhere. I, I really, I, it was important to me to get as much face-to-face -face as possible in the beginning uh, with as many clients as I could. And I remember just being in the car, sitting in traffic and working on um, what questions would this customer possibly ask me and how would I respond? And so I had these flashcards in my car and I, and I would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until they sounded like it was the first time I was ever answering the question. Um, and, uh, one of the things I learned really quickly was that no matter what I rehearsed for the customer, the home buyer, whoever it was, it was their first time usually hearing a thoughtful answer about something related to their finances. And, you know, we all lead busy lives, right? And, and, and when, when you go and you meet with a customer and let's say it's a, a married couple and you meet one spouse and not the other the messaging that you provide to that one spouse, you may kill it and it might make complete sense and they may be in 100% agreement with you. But as we all know, when we go to explain something to another person, uh, especially our spouse who you know, will call us out on whatever, the, 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 the messaging gets lost. It's the whole Johnny, Johnny dangerously, I know this grapevine scenario. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites. It is one of my favorites. Vermin and the Mothers are playing at the Savoy Theater tomorrow night. That's not what I said. <laughs> I, I did a little research and I got, I've got some airplane quotes we probably need to go over. That's perfect. That is pre <laughs> for, thank you. You know your last name's an adverb. Uh, that is one of my favorites of all time. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. That is an absolute classic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Good stuff. So, but that's actually how it how it happens. And what I learned very quickly was that just delivering the message to um, one person wasn't enough. Um, I began writing the information down. And when I would leave an appointment, I would say to uh, my customer, I'd say, look, I know this is a lot for us to take in. Here's our next action steps. And here's what I expect from you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this conversation and I'm going to turn this into a story and I'm going to publish it on a website um, and I'll send you the, the URL where you can look at it. And I began keeping a log of all the conversations I had with customers because I knew that if I had a conversation with, you know, homeowner A, that homeowners B through Z were gonna have the exact same questions. You know, it, everybody's process of buying a home feels different, yep. you know, but they're all really the same. There's a group of golf instructors out there when I was in the golf business in the We've got no video on here, but if you could see my studio set up here, I've got a caddy bib back there from TPC Sawgrass when I got to go play TPC Sawgrass as part of a, a realtor trip. One of my realtor buddies took me on that he had won. But um, 
there was a, a group called the John Jacobs group and they used to train instructors and it was really, it didn't make sense to me when they first told me what they did, but they set up 15 minute lessons for people, you know, and my, by my experience, you can't do a golf lesson for anything less than an hour and get anything accomplished. But what they started teaching these guys is they're going to basically see about five or six different swings and 90% of them is probably one swing. And all you had to know how to do was that cure that one particular swing. So they basically came up with a golf instructor factory and they'd take these guys out to Arizona or wherever there was a great climate and they'd set them up teaching 15 minute lessons for eight hours a day. So these guys, you know, at the end of the day, give 30 something lessons and getting some great experience and working with a lot of it, but it was really the same information over and over again. Now, I tell my guys that I'm coaching right now, if you don't know what questions that they're going to ask or what objections they're going to have, then you're not really a professional in the business. You got to figure that out by now. Right. <laughs> it's uh, it's like when you're at a closing and, and you hear the realtor say, this has never happened before. And it's, well, you must not do a lot of closings because never yeah. done. That's not exactly the best way to probably handle that because I've tried that before and it didn't go over exactly like I thought, but you know, uh, it wasn't the wrong information. I think it was the delivery that I gave that didn't go right. So, well, that's uh, it. I use, I use that site. Um, it was great because over time uh, you begin to have this compendium of helpful information. And the thing that I learned, um, and I turned that website into uh, some top producing years. I was number one at my company at multiple companies for multiple years. And I, I turn that information into um, an inbound source of leads. Let me plug you on that because this is kind of how I found you. So when I was an originator, one of the challenges that originators have is trying to figure out, you know, is this a square peg that goes in the square hole? Is this a round peg that goes in the round hole? Which, which set is going to fit? Which particular product that this is going to match is going to be the best fit? Because a lot of consumers, they're all thinking about rate. And as a mortgage guys, we're thinking about product or what can we put them into that's really going to be the best thing for them. So there's a little bit of mismatch there. Um, but I would used to go out and search on Google when I had, you know, the guidelines changed quite a bit since 2008, fairly often to the degree where sometimes it's hard to keep up with it. But I do some Google searches instead of going through all regs, which is those not in the industry don't really get that, but it's a, <laughs> basically a big file tree of how to search guidelines. That's and my it, bedtime reading. I've got to, I got to, I got to print it out for pages next to my bed. I love it's it. It's not the most user-friendly experience. <laughs> so I would go Google and here's your plug, Dan. Two or three times out of the top 10 listings would be something from the mortgage reports. And what I loved about that is other sites out there that were regurgitating information weren't really being as accurate because it would be old it wouldn't really be right from the guidelines. And then you could tell it wasn't written for somebody that had experience. I can tell you if Dan wrote it up there, it was what the guidelines said, but it was something that a consumer could understand. So kudos. Thanks That's for that. No, that is so, you know, I, I think the, um, the important piece there is written in a way the consumer can understand because the way that I've always looked at this is any home buyer coming into the transaction. If you, you know, if you're in this business, whether you, you've only met with one customer or they've been doing it for years and, and you've met with tens of thousands, every single person is scared. It is a terrifying experience. And I'd even say this, if you are a loan officer and you go to buy a house, at some point you also feel anxious and nervous. And it might be worse. I should know what all can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. There, there's something about that. And what I've, um, what I've tried to do is to take uh, this information that is so frightening to people. And oftentimes it's, it's the same way that some people say, I'm not a math person and they will be afraid of math and they'll avoid it. 
And then they'll look at mortgage and they'll say the same thing. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to know this. Just tell me what to do. And like, that's fine. But when a home buyer has information presented to them in a way that is sensible, that they can understand it and apply it, um, they make great decisions for themselves and they feel empowered and they're in control. And the secret piece as a loan officer is that when, you're, when your customer feels like they understand what's going on, they're less likely to leave you at the 11th hour to send a flyer up on a, you know, to, to go submit their lead on some major website that, you know, go get competing quotes or throw it into an engine. Here's a, you know, go put all your personal information somewhere else and see what sticks. They won't do that because because they feel like they understand what's going on and they can recognize the garbage that comes from submitting randomly. That that was a really interesting thing. The conversion rates and pull-throughs were super high because people felt like they were in control. It wasn't it wasn't a mortgage lender telling them what to do or what's best. Exactly. So I just got back from the John Maxwell conference down in Florida, and I had a bid on coaching. I'm a coach now. That's what I do. And there's so many people that misunderstand what coaching is and they think mentorship, training and teaching is coaching when in all actuality, the answers always come with inside the coaching client and there's power in that because it's not me telling them what to do. It's them coming to the conclusion that they kind of already had in their subconsciousness and bring it through. That's, I think I see that being a, a good analogy to what you're saying. Yeah. And if you, if you look back, um, over that old website in, a, in mortgage reports has since been acquired and I've gone on other things. And, but if you look back at all of the content that's, that was written by me um, and then I still do today, it's really the first main part is you need to validate your, you need to validate your home buyer or make them, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling. And as you say, like it's in the subconscious. So the answer comes from within. That's true. Oftentimes, you know, when people come to a purchase and they don't have a down payment, or they know that they want to make a small down payment, but there's some voice in the back of their head that's their parents or their aunts or some person who's told them at some point, you can't buy a house without 20% down. PMI is awful. (laughs) The media, right. And and so they know that's not possible for them, but they also know that they don't have to put 20%. They just need permission. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling. Lots of other home buyers feel the same way. And here's how they got past that feeling. And here's, here's what opened up to them in the home ownership and the, you know, the American dream, the things that are so important to your customer. And so often we look past that. We want to jam product down their throats. They're not interested in product. They're interested in buying a house. How am I going to do this? Exactly. Um, That's, you know, it's uh, putting your customer first. I've got my, my notes, what I thought was all in order, but of course you can't really c- c- predict what way the conversation is going to go here, but I may jump around a little bit. I, I do want to, to, to give you opportunity to kind of talk to us a little bit about what's going on now with Groella. So sure. one of the most successful loan officers with multiple different companies, uh, had your systems in place, the models out there, and eventually made the segue from being a loan officer to being a web publisher. Uh, how did you know kind of when it was time to move on and when, when did that happen in your career? I, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> uh, when um, so mortgage reports was uh, generating a lot of inbound leads every day, more than I could handle. And uh, my, um, my employer was very generous and allowed me to, uh, to distribute the, the runoff leads to third parties. We didn't have an internal system. So I was sending them out to lead aggregators and at one point, um, one of those lead aggregators thought, um, you know, they wanted to acquire the site and all of the leads in full. And so when that happened, that was 2014. And when that happened, um, I left loan originating and went into you know, essentially publishing full time. 
awesome. when it, it was, you know, it was a great experience. And during that time, I watched um, consumer behaviors change. And today, things are a little bit different, um, which has given rise to um, the project, you know, Grill. And um, now our, our main product, it's Customer Cultivate is the name of the product. And it is, um, it's taking uh, the consumer experience and recognizing that people uh, don't shop for homes in one day. Right. right. Today, uh, a home, a typical home buyer is sitting, you know, they're laying in their bed at night, they're flipping through some app on their phone, they're looking at, at listings. And they might be 12, 18, 24 months out from, uh, from buying a house, but they've already decided in their head, I'm going to do this. And they can look at all the homes that they want. Uh, it's all right there on their phone. But what they can't do is get the information about the mortgages. Right. And so um, it used to be that as LOs, we waited for realtors to tell us, hey, you know, here's one of my buyers. They need to be pre-approved or they're under contract. Right. We were at the bottom of the funnel. We right. waited for leads. We go out, we shake hands with realtors. We're at networking events. We're doing it. You know, we're bringing donuts and rate sheets or whatever it is, because that's where the business is. You have to get nice with realtors. But today, realtors aren't in that position to give us business anymore. What's actually happening is the consumers are looking for lenders first. And it's, it's turned the whole thing around. And so, you, you know, you may notice in your own business, uh, anybody who's on this call, it's like, how many of your buyers come to you unrepresented? Because now... Um, for better or for worse, a home buyer believes that the realtor's best role, they don't need them until they need to get in and see the actual listing. The same way they used to think they didn't need us yeah. until it was time to get a rate. And it's like, so well, they need keys. They need the yeah. realtor for keys. <laughs> right? They used to look at us. It was, okay, well, I need to get, I need to get my interest rate. And you'd be like, well, first I need to pre-approve you. First I need, to, right. I need to look at, you know, let's look at your job history. Let's look at all these things. Um, <clears throat> the realtor's now at the bottom of the funnel at the last step. And we're at the top. And the traditional way of lead generation of just waiting for, you know, waiting for somebody to call you and acting quickly doesn't, doesn't fly. We have an opportunity now where these home buyers at the, at the zero moment of truth, which is this Google idea that when somebody commits in their head that I'm going to do this, the inception point, right? And I'm going to, you plant the idea in somebody's head that they're going to buy a home. The first thing they're doing is wondering, how am I going to accomplish this? And that's our opportunity as loan originators to make our first point of contact with an interested buyer in the hard part. And this is, this is the problem that we're solving here with Customer Cultivate. The hard part is that as loan officers, we're not conditioned to work with buyers over a 12 to 18th month period. It's just not in our DNA. We are, we're about, you know, we manage the 90 day timelines. We look at our, you know, our, our sales managers aren't asking us, um, hey, give me your projections for, you know, a year from now. They're saying, what are you going to close this month? Right. And well, so, and I think that's part, partly just the model that business works in because we talk about quarterly reports and businesses that are traded on the stock market. Most people aren't looking at it's a yeah. yearly time horizon. Yeah. I mean, you're, and if you think about, um, truly think about who your best leads are, they're not the ones that you're buying off of the lead aggregator services because most times in most instances, they are at the bottom of the funnel. They have competing quotes. They already know what rate should be. They know what their structure should be. Um, really what you are at that point is you're buying transactions when you're buying leads and that's fine, but we're all in the relationship business right. and you build relationships over time. And your best, your best buyer is one that needs your help that doesn't understand structure, that has something to learn from you. You come back to the coaching aspect, right? right. Help them find the answers within. And, and that, is your, that is your customer. Right. Uh, it takes time, but that's okay. 
right? Um, that that's the value that we're all trying to provide. And, um, and that's a problem we're trying to help solve. So our, our product is uh, assisting in the long-term nurturing, that, that incubation, that customer cultivation over a long period of time. So loan officers can focus more time on the human aspect and less on you know, the day-to-day stuff. So I've got some information though for Growella. So helping the current generation get to their next phase in life click bait free articles written to be relevant and relatable. And I really appreciate that because there's so much stuff out there that's, that's not. But one of the things that kind of that cued on to me is current generation. And as I looked into more of some of the more things you're doing, you guys have got a lot of focus on, I guess current generation is the millennial generation, correct? It's, we, yeah, we want to avoid that word. <laughs> we, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, okay, I didn't say that. So yeah. what if we just call them current generation now? Is there, there's a great term I heard. It's uh, the word was perennials, not millennials, but perennials. It's anybody of any age that is, that is comfortable and lives most of their life uh, online. And, and uh, okay. really, you know, I, I think that um, if you're buying a house for the second or third time, you value um, an online process, maybe an entirely online but if it's your first time and you have questions, um, at the point where you hit confusion, you want to be able to reach a human. And uh, I think that becomes an important part. And really the, the best role that we can all fill as loan officers is being, a, being available at the right time for our customers when they need us. Right. So is that the target because that is the biggest group of home buyers that we're predicting for 2019, uh, the, the age demographic? Or was there another reason outside of that? That's kind of no, it, it's um, for us. It's a um, it's an interesting an interesting way to deliver messaging, um, in that there is a um, different age groups, and that you know not even not even categorizing as millennials or Gen X or you know boomers, but different age groups have different feelings about brands. And the thing that that I found to be most interesting um, about this, you know, the perennials, is that we we don't look at um, we don't look at brands necessarily positively. Um, we want to be in control of our process, right? And, and so if we think about drip marketing, we all engage in drip marketing, right? It's the way that we constantly stay in touch with our customers. And the thing is when an email arrives from a brand, if you are a non-committed customer, that brand is being invasive. And so right. if you haven't decided, you know, if you're buying a house, you don't know who you want to work with yet. And you keep getting emails from some brand. After a while, you're like, stop emailing me. Right. But um, if it's coming from a, from a third party uh, who's there to help you um, and somebody who is non-biased and is able to provide proper advice and, and kind of step back and be on your side as the consumer, uh, then there becomes an attachment there because here's somebody who's on my side helping me navigate you know, the, the, the brands. Uh, and that, that's how we look at ourselves um, as being, you know, we, we're trying to educate our, our, um, all the users on our platform uh, but at the same time, we're trying to deliver good value to the lenders on the other side as a you know, co-sponsored um, environment. So I was listening to Tom Ferry doing an interview with the president of Zillow uh, just recently uh, that's got put out there. Speaking in a little bit what you're talking about uh, is he was uh, talking about, uh, is it Schwartz? You'd be probably a little more in touch. The gentleman's last name is. Um, Spencer? You talk, uh, uh, I think his name was Schwartz. Okay. See, uh, see our president, not CEO, but a president of a particular part of Zillow. And I guess uh, Ferry has been a pretty big fan of those, but they were talking about catching the consumer in the right modality. And I see the challenge as I'm coaching my loan officers, which, you know, by and large is kind of my audience is, is my loan officers and other loan officers out there. 
uh, as they're working within different lead generation platforms. Some of these guys are doing stuff on Facebook on their own. We've got some, some contracts with other companies through uh, who I work with. Um, but the, the challenge with these guys is not really realizing that as the reality uh, being said that, you know, as soon as a, a, a customer uh, interacts with your lead form and you get notification of it, if you're not able to go follow up with them. And I think we all fairly uh, comfortable or knowledgeable about the decaying value of when you don't get in touch with those guys in a timely manner. But then, you know, loan officers have got lives just like what the consumers do. Uh, and they can be on the phone with the realtor. And I'm coaching them to stay in their time blocks and things like that. So I guess the the message that you're putting out there with Groella is you know, there may be a time when one of those two guys gets missed, but if, if you don't have some systems in place to get in front of them or get their attention when they're in that mode, you're still not losing if you're nurturing these things over the time because you're, you're probably gaining more than just that one lost opportunity. I. I look at it even deeper than that. I, I think that's a fair assessment, uh, but you can go even deeper and you say that um, as a loan officer, you only know as much about the consumers they're willing to tell you. And so your drip campaigns, you know, if that's, if that's the, the best that you have, um, that's fine. But your drip campaigns are set on a path on day one based on what you know about that customer. They plan on buying a house in, you know, whatever. So you have a 90 day drip campaign or you have a, you know, a six month drip campaign. Number one, most buyers aren't buying a house within 90 days or six months. So what happens at the end of that period? <laughs> Number two, as soon as, they send, as soon as you send the first irrelevant email, they stop opening all the subsequent ones. That's the decay uh, you're talking about. Yeah. Once, you, once you're off the mark, they assume you'll never be on the mark again. Yeah. But three is that buyers' needs change over time. And so what started off as maybe you're sending a purchase about a condo, um, now it's turned off into a, um, here's somebody who's buying outside of a city center, maybe an area that is a little bit almost, uh, you know, almost rural, but kind of edu college town or some suburban where maybe they qualify for USDA loan and maybe they are looking at doing uh, the lowest possible down payment, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe they're getting a cash gift. And these are messages that weren't included in your original 90 day drip as you originally had set up. And so if you're not able to be responsive um, through your drips to the changing needs of your customer, you're going to miss them also. Um, and so it's a matter of, um, of listening and being aware. Uh, it's not hard, right? The top producers are on the phone and as you say, they have a life, but, but they're also, they're being aware that there's a human element here and we've got to constantly add value. And what you can't get that from an email drip campaign because there's no interaction in through there. Drips are, drips are great for talking about why your company is awesome. Right. They're not great for telling the customer, your home buyer, um, the things that they need to know. And, and that's all of us as consumers. I don't, I don't care about your product. I don't care about your product. I care about, I want to buy this house. How am I going to do this? I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm scared. This is a big commitment. I don't care about your product or your jargon because I don't right. understand what you're saying anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> I've got a lot of my clients listening to some different scripts of some of the top producers out there. And, and one of them, uh, this guy named Josh metal and some of the verbiage that he's shared that I've shared with my coaching clients out there is, <clears throat> you know, a lot of consumers going to ask you about rate, but that's because culturally we're not really used to asking some of those harder questions that probably in the back of their mind and his jargon on that or verbiage was, you know, are you going to be cool to work with? You know, am I going to be loaded up and have my family together and just find out that something's going to go wrong? And they don't really know what the right questions to ask are. And as I think as a loan officer, you need to have a way that you can 
bring up what really, you know, what the situation could be like and what's important, not just to you, but to them, because you're supposed to be there guiding them through this process. Yes. So yeah, that, that's great. I, I like that take on it. <laughs> so I, I read a book recently and we were trying to make it into a kind of a, a, a teaching tool that I use as a mastermind group on with some of my coaching clients. And I ran into some problems with it and I thought you might be able to, to shed some light on it. So the book's called never lose a customer again. And was going through a fairly typical sales model and they were saying this could be applied to any business, but we were having a challenge because it was dividing up a purchase transaction of some type of good or service into the things leading up to the sale. But you know, the uniqueness of the mortgage industry is the sale kind of happens at the beginning and then continues to be going on throughout the process. So it didn't really fit the model. So honestly, we got through about halfway through the book and like some of them were just like, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to fit in, you know, am I selling? Is it sold once I get them to, you know, sign on the papers, not a contract like in real estate. So you heard about that book, got perspective on that? I had, but I didn't know there was going to be homework and I would have written out my scripts. I told you, I practiced my scripts for <laughs> all my drives. Well, um, let me try to ask you a different way and I'll make, <laughs> make it serve it up a little bit easier so you don't have to have any context on there. But <laughs> It's been said that the mortgage industry is broken. It doesn't fit in the traditional model where it delivers what the consumers come to expect. It's always been about making them conform to our model of gathering information, processing it, and putting out. Uh, could you speak to that and see what you think about what's changing and how maybe automation, uh, AI, things like that might be changing the industry coming forward? Um, so it's a, it's a really broad topic, and I, I love – this conversation comes up a lot, the mismatch between um, home buyer expectation and the mortgage reality. This is a very, very complex business. There's a lot of uh, money moves between a lot of organizations from end to end, right? The, the, even the idea um, that it's such a big question about servicing rights, you know, who's, you know that, that it's a sell point that you're going to write your loan, you're going to write your check every month to us. Right. Um, that's a selling point is really preying on the customer's fears that what happens when my loan gets sold, which is right. a problem that is bygone for another era. Right. Um, but there are so many pieces and so many parts and so many things that happen in, in mortgage that we know it's complicated, but the customer doesn't. And so what is their experience and how do we limit that? And, and technology does um, a good job of making some of the pieces seem easier but there is, you know, Fannie and Freddie are now moving to speed up underwriting. Uh, their Capsalon is a really interesting um, company that is working with uh, lenders on the on the underwriting and servicing side. Where now they're beginning to automate underwriting, which is cool because heard uh, that. They, what what's really neat about it is that mortgage lenders have been pairing staff for years. Uh, you know, in the senior underwriters with a product like Capsulon, as an example, you can take the senior underwriters and leave them for the most challenging problems and all the simple stuff um, you, you, know, you automate. And so you're taking right. the most brains, the most experience, and you're putting on the most complicated problems, which is terrific, which makes a lot helps, of sense. It, helps, it helps us, right? It helps us underwrite our loans better to get better answers. It helps secondary and, and it helps downstream. Um, I know I'm going a little bit far afield of your, of your question, but, but tough. I mean, but like the idea that, um, as, as loan officers, 
we were in theory offering free advice for many months and we just hope that the customer sticks with us. And that question that you brought up about, you know, well, what's your rate? Cause that's the only thing they know to ask. Look, you know, we all know that rate is whatever the customer wants it to be. If you want to have a rate that's, you know, if you want to pay six points, you, you can have the lowest rate ever. And we still see advertisements that, yep. that prey on the, on the customer, not knowing, right. you know, more about that. And, you know, shame on, on, you know, the bad actors who, uh, try to, you know, hustle one through. I mean, that, that reflects poorly on all of us in an industry when, Absolutely. when it's all discovered. But um, I think the best thing you can do to, to build a fence around your, your clients and, and to kind of seal your pipeline is to be constantly adding value. What are you doing today to help your buyers? As, when someone's buying a house, they might not be actively searching every single day, but it is definitely something that they're thinking about. On every drive to work, on every errand that they run, on every trip around the neighborhood, on every conversation that they're having with family, th this is something that comes up. They look at houses, they look at fixtures, they look at, uh, they look at, at magazines and Pinterest, and they look at, at everything is around, your whole, your whole life stops. And so as a loan officer, something you can be doing is actively thinking, what can I be doing to help this home buyer? How can I be adding value today? Because if you add value constantly, uh, Cialdini is a great example, you know, the, the law of reciprocity, right? Mm -hmm. you just the got to hear talk. Like, he was at the Maxwell event. That's awesome, right? And, and you might not get every loan, but you're certainly going to get a lot of them and give yourself a much better chance. And you're going to reduce the number of competitors, again, at the 11th hour, your customer's not just going to throw their stuff into an aggregator and to get competing quotes and leave you out to dry. Or if you're not there to answer your phone at 11 o'clock on a Friday night when something's under contract, you're not going to lose the deal because you've added so much value over time. And that's, a, that's all any of us can do. We're experts. We're knowledgeable. We're professionals. We add value. Uh, so as an individual, that probably looks like some type of a conversation that's going on from a company perspective. From what I'm gathering, you guys have kind of found out a way to do that on an online yeah. entity. Yeah. I mean, not to, uh, not to promote the product uh, too much. I'm, I'm, I'm tossing up the theosophical. Yeah, that was a, it's, right. It is baseball season. So, <laughs> so I'm good here. Um, we, um, so we, we allow uh, loan officers to um, take their customers. We're a third party, you know, we're a, uh, um, a separate login, a portal, a, a website, whatever. A custom, it's a customized learning platform for the home buyer. And when they log in for the first time, we give a nice welcome video from you, the loan officer. And, and we immediately begin asking very basic questions. And what we're trying to do is to learn about the customer. So we just ask, is this your first time buying a house? What's your target date for being in a house? That's it. But very quickly training the, the home buyer that the more, the more they answer our questions, the better we can customize their experience. And so we watch the article. So maybe we show them a bunch of articles about first time home buying. And we see that they've got a particular propensity for articles about low down payment loans. And so we begin to shift their experience so that they're seeing more content and more videos. We begin to give them quizzes and gamify the system. Um, and the idea is that over time, um, as the user keeps coming back, as the home buyer continues to log in over and over again, they're getting a, an experience that responds, very, you know, opposite from the drip campaign, right. but it, it responds to whatever they are in the process at that point. And the more, and we can ask them questions throughout the process. So for example, if they, um, you know, if we were talking about cash gifts for down payment and we can ask the question at the bottom, you know, hey, do you, know, do you intend to get a cash gift for down payment? 
how much they tell us that we can incorporate that into their future experience Wonderful. so that it's so it's real time and adaptive and the best part is that we don't have to guess when the home buyer is ready to put in an offer when it's time for them to actually get pre-approved because they will tell us they've already been trained that the more information they give us, the better their experience. And so at that point, we're able to get on the phone. I can pick up the phone and be like, hey, Wade, you know, I've got Stephanie on the phone. Um, she, you know, she's, she's buying her first house. You know, here's a quick little background story on her. And I can Hang on a minute. We've got a problem with that. Stephanie's my wife. And if she's buying a house and I don't know that yet. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> what do you know Surprise. that I don't know, Dan? Well, you get to go to TPC Sawgrass and Caddy. She, she gets to go out and buy houses. That's, that's the trade-off when you're married. Well, that does sound like a fair. <laughs> if I'd have had to write the check for it, it wasn't free. It would have probably be in the same category. Cause they don't. So, <laughs> so that, that's our, um, that's the, that's how we're trying to solve it. It's like, you can't be everywhere at all times. And uh, we're trying to give the user experience instead of pushing drip on them that they pull themselves through and then notify, Hey, you know what? I am ready to talk to somebody now. I heard a great stat about uh, home buyers. I heard this from a, um, a real estate lead generating company that they generated all these leads for realtors and the realtors uh, thought the leads were bad and they weren't, it wasn't that the leads were bad. It was that the home buyers on average were 14 months away from actually buying a house. And, most times a home buyer doesn't start looking at houses until they're within 90 or 120 days, right? It's generally between three or four months for them to find a house. And so the real estate agents are like, we had these leads, but they were all too early. What would be a better service, right? And it's like, give us the, give us the lead back when they're ready for us, when, they're, when, when they need our services directly, when we can add the most value. Right? The doctor doesn't come in your appointment to check your blood pressure and take your weight. That's a specialist that's handling that. That's, that's somebody right. else. You, you know, you're a high value professional. You're a loan officer. Do the things that are highest value, structure loans and um, you know, get the pricing together and, and make sure the customer knows that, that um, everything's going to be okay. That was some of the messaging that I was getting on the Zillow conferences they're talking about as the people are coming in and the whole modality thing that we were talking about, Zillow tried to test for a while because their consumer experience, they were tracking that and they weren't getting in touch with, at least from the consumer perspective, with the realtor that they wanted to get in touch with in what they thought was a timely manner. And of course, it went back to what we were talking about a minute ago. The realtor's out with another client's real property. He's on his phone and he didn't get back with them in five minutes. So, you know, in their mind, they didn't get back. with. So Zillow thought they were going to take that back in-house and basically try to get that level higher of connecting these folks together. And of course, the top producing realtors are like, no, 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 you are not taking that guy away from me once you've already given them to me. And they try to have, find out how to get that happy medium up there. So um, I see what makes a lot of sense to me. I, I read a book by Ryan Levesque called Ask Sometime, and it was about, if you're familiar with that, um, segmenting your database. And my mind's for one, I don't really have, I've got a pretty logical mind, but I trying to think about how to interact with my database to segment on these categories where I could deliver relevant information was it made my head hurt. Um, and I could probably do that for a while, but I probably have to quit, you know, after my head would explode. But it's really interesting because it feels like, sounds like to me, that's one of the things that you guys have answered is how to be relevant as their needs change and you get more information and they emerge out there. So I'm just kind of curious, um, what kind of data are you getting that is there, obviously there's different 
people come into the, the uh, time frame or come into your funnel at different parts in the time frame. Are there different things that there are, you know, lights that go off, flags that go up that kind of cue you into that where they're at? We ask them, um, and be, you know, as being, uh, as being independent, right, they're going to give us some basic information. As I mentioned on the onboarding, we want to know, are you a first time home buyer and what's about your target date? And by starting with that information, um, we can start taking guesses, right? And we can say, oh, well, you know, based on these two pieces of information, yes or no, and your timeline, we can present you with some information and we can see what you click on. So similar to how Netflix will adapt your, um, your recommendations based on things that you've already seen, it also will map against other people who have similar characteristics to you. Right. Um, say people who liked the same thing as you, you know, also want to see this. So we're able to use predictive analytics to um, serve up the best possible content at the right time for the right home buyer. And, you know, I think that the bigger opportunity here for loan officers, regardless of how you approach it, but it is to recognize that, that the, the consumer's mentality has shifted. They're not calling real estate agents first. They're yeah. not, they're not starting with the realtor. We don't have to go to realtors and, and say, you know, what do I have to do to get your leads? What do I have to co-market? How much money am I going to have to spend along with you in order to, in order to co-sponsor and go to your open houses? Like we, in order to get your business, like we don't have to do that. The, what's happening is we're actually at the top now, early, before the consumers know anything about buying a house, they don't have a realtor and they don't know anything about mortgage. And that is a great place to be. You not only build your pipeline and, and, and you've got, you've got home buyers that need your help, but they also don't have realtors. And if you want a realtor's business for life, walk in there with a lead. Hey, I met these three customers. Uh, I'm happy to give them to you. Here they are. Hey, let's talk about, you know, your business and what you do with your leads. It's a complete role reversal. We are in command right now as an industry. Um, and I, I, I love that loan officers everywhere are waking up to this and um, it's creating a tremendous amount of opportunity for the future. I agree. So I have one thing uh, from our brief previous conversation. We were kind of doing a little get to know you. Uh, you got a glimpse behind the scenes. So you had a little screen share going on. You got to see, I guess I think it was in the email. I showed you a picture of my calendar as we were going to schedule this event. And you said something that jumped out at me and I wanted to follow up. <laughs> said if I had a calendar or just looking at your calendar made me anxious. And as I read a little bit more about you, you talked about, about having slowing down and having some margin in your life. And so I want to kind of give some of my loan officers that don't feel like that a glimpse of kind of what it's like on the other side of that. So what does that slowing down and having margin mean to you? Um, I, uh, I, I think it's great to work hard. Um, I've been known to log a lot of hours in a week. Um, and you know, on occasion now, um, it's fine. Uh, but there's, um, I, I find that I'm at my best when my workday is contained. Um, I used to believe that I could outwork everybody and, um, and that would be the key. And, you know, if I'm put, if I, all I have to do is put in more hours. And I'll tell you what, when I was getting into the mortgage business, I needed to ramp up. Like I recognize that I have to put in a lot of time if I'm going to compete. Right, but at some point, there's only marginal benefits from that extra hour. You can only do so much, and um, I, I'm, I now look at this. Uh, my day is uh, fairly regimented, but there's a lot of time in there. I block off time for myself. Um, I, I run marathons, and I, I spend 
time pre-dawn. That is my quiet time. And I run um, and, and I run a lot. I do, uh, I have my work day, but then, you know, I tend to leave the office around four or 4.30 and I go home, I, you know, pick up my kids from school and um, I go home and I spend some time and to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm going to sporting things that, you know, they're all involved. And you know what, my phone rings and emails come in. And at first it was really concerned by that. And then what I started to realize was that, hey, it's okay. Um, you know, everybody wants to move at breakneck speed, but everybody also, um, it's very rare that you actually do have to move that fast. And it feels like the whole world is waiting on, you know, oh my gosh, if I don't get back, everything's going to collapse. And that's almost never the case. <laughs> uh, I think um, experience and wisdom is, you know, it's one thing to have knowledge, right? But wisdom is being able to apply it to experience and, and wisdom is knowing what things are truly needed to be, you know, what really needs to be handled right now. And what I've learned is that it's almost nothing, right? almost nothing. Makes me think about Tim Ferriss going through the four hour work week, talking about how he took himself out of the funnel and thought it was all on him and realized that he'd had a few people, key people put in place and took himself out of the funnel. And you know what turned in from a two week vacation, what turned into like a three month vacation. I think it was a story. Yeah. And I think, uh, that's something that's a topic for a different conversation is as loan officers grow their business, different things are important. You know, for starting out, I think we talk a lot about time block. We talk a lot about, you know, discipline and working. And as they grow up, they started getting to getting into some systems and some management concepts as they get into a team or they're managing an assistant or something like that. But as, as far as LO advice, I mean, I, I got a couple of big nuggets out of you. And, and one of them is, is, these guys need to start recognizing that they're kind of at the beginning of the process instead of at the end. Um, and if they realize that, and if there's a conversation that they could have with these guys and that they're adding value and, and realizing there's a long game and not just a short game, that if you're involved in some type of lead gen or something like that, and you've got people that are coming in, you need to make sure that you're still reaching out to those and engaging them in conversation because you don't necessarily know when they're out in the funnel or maybe it's important to identify that where they're at in the process. Um, so any kind of takeaways as far as, you know, anything other advice for the, the loan officer community out there to how to keep themselves relevant as we're coming into, I guess the digital, the, the, the tech and the touch, high tech, high touch are trying to merge a little bit better now. I actually, uh, I think if to give everybody homework, um, go out and watch the movie Moneyball. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've watched that in the last few years. <laughs> so <laughs> it's that, one of my favorite. I probably watched that more in the last six months than any other movie. It, okay, so <laughs> I, I I find that there is tremendous parallel um, for us. I wonder if that's what it is. I, I think that might have been it for me. <laughs> yeah. We are um, we are all the Oakland A's. Um, we will never outspend the Yankees. Right. We you know the, it it. You know, we know who the Yankees are in our in our industry, and we cannot outspend them. Right. So we have to think differently about where are we going to find where you know, what are the places where there's very high value um, that everybody else is overlooking. And I, you know, I, I I alluded to it earlier where you know, the bottom of the funnel is where we're constantly chasing leads. It's where we want to buy everything. Those are transactions. Right you can't win in the chasing transaction business, not with the budget of against the budget of the Yankees. You can't, you cannot win. Mm -hmm. 
But the thing is, we're not in the transaction business. We're in the business of closing loans. This is a relationship business. Right. So the, the number one asset to build a relationship is time. And so the more time that you can spend, you know, reasonably spend on a home buyer, the more, the more closings you will have. Right. And so focus on the relationships and focus on time. And that is, you know, stop chasing the bottom of the funnel. Look at the top of the funnel. Cost of acquisition is way lower. Your returns are way higher. <laughs> um, you, can, you can do more with less if you start at the top. And that is, uh, so Moneyball is, uh, there's so many things to learn from there, but especially all of us, um, we are all, unless you're number one or number two, we are all small players. Yeah. And that is, that is our way to survive. That, that's a great, great takeaway. And I, I love that stuff. And it's just, I knew there's something that was drawing me about that. that <laughs> and I think there was obviously, I could see the parallel that was going on there, but it's really interesting that somebody else saw that and appreciated it. So last thing I want to end with. So when's the next tour date for No Soup for You? Where are they playing? Now? Oh my gosh, you really did do your history. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, no Soup for You is my college band. Uh, that is incredible. You know what I'll do? So um, my old guitarist is still out playing. Uh, he's out in LA. I'll send him a note and I'll, and I'll see uh, when we can hop up. And, and uh, that is incredible. I can't believe you. That's amazing. No, nobody else has brought that up. You're kidding. Somebody that is, hasn't thrown that out there. That is amazing. Uh, yeah, no soup for you. There's your, uh, there's your 90s reference for the day. <laughs> uh, my brother's in the music business, and that brought me to Nashville. Uh, I, don't, I'm not, I was the only, I told you this on our last call, I was the only bartender in Nashville. I wasn't trying to get a record deal. That was kind of my claim to fame. <laughs> when I, here, but I just I thought you might appreciate that, because his band actually still goes play like maybe once or a year once or twice a year for some type of a cattle calling or something in Texas. So. Well, if they need, uh, if they need anybody filling in and rhythm and vocals, you just let me know. Dan can take care of them. So <laughs> I have uh, had Dan uh, Groella, uh, Dan Groella, Dan Green, CEO of Groella on today. So I just want to thank you so much. And I tell you, my last takeaway is you'll never, it's, it's incredible when I reach out to these guys at this level, uh, how many of these guys that I find are so, genuine original and so willing to share their time so i really really appreciate your time dan uh, hey, my pleasure this is a big business there's plenty of room for all of us and i think uh, all of you know we're all interested in uh in lifting the bar and doing good things so i'm, I'm happy to spend time i appreciate you asking me I, I, this has been great I, I appreciate it man